welcome back to another episode of Just Everyday Bible with me, your host, Jeb Clafter. Uh, today will not be a continuation of our Matthew study, but rather today I'm going to show you all a presentation I did on the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I really just wanted to get some content out to you all because I haven't had time to work on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 all the way to chapter 7. I really want to do that study justice and really put a lot of effort into that, but it's finals week and I have projects I got to work on. This is one of the projects I did. Hope you enjoy and God bless. Today I will be talking about Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 16, a story that we're all really familiar with, the story of Cain and Abel. To kind of give you the overview of the story, you can break it up into three sections. The first section is the narrative setup to give the background. The second part is God's questions to Cain. And then third is sometimes called God's lawsuit against Cain, which really talks, it's really God's charge. So he's saying, Cain, you did this, and then his sentence. So this is your punishment for what you've done. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man at Yahweh. This I produced a man at Yahweh is Dr. Ricks, a former professor at OC's translation. And he points out, along with others, that this is kind of an uncertain phrase. We're still trying, like we don't fully understand what Eve's talking about here. Because if it's just, oh, Eve's just saying, God, please be with my son, is is one way you can phrase it. But then it's like, well, why can't Adam just, you know, why why can't Adam take care of them? Like, this, he's the father. Like, you're not going to say anything about the relationship there. You're, Eve is making a physical connection between Yahweh and Cain, which kind of gets into this idea of divine responsibility. And that's a lot. That's what uh, Dr. Ricks and myself and other scholars believe is what's going on in this, is that Eve's trying to make a hard and fast connection between Yahweh taking care of her son. So then in verse 2, it says, Next Eve bore Cain's brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. Note here, Abel is defined as Cain's brother. That's who he is. That's how he's known. And this kind of goes along with his name and with him as a character. Because Abel, it comes from the Hebrew name Havel, which means vapor or mist. So you can kind of see that, you know, you see that Abel's in this story. But whenever you try and pin him down, whenever you try and see what kind of a character he is, he, he disappears before you can really understand him. He's there, but but not physically there. He he just is floating around in this text, which note which is also similar to Adam. Adam is mentioned in the beginning of the story, and then never shows up again. And Eve is mentioned at the beginning also, and then never shows up again. Adam and Eve are just missing in the story. Like where are they? So these are the kind of questions that we need to be asking of this text. And I think a lot of it comes down to, it, well, I'll talk about it later, but responsibility. So kind of keep that 
brewing in the back of your mind as we're going through this text. So it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So in the course of time, the text says, they decided to bring offerings. They're going to bring presents and gifts to God. And God accepts Abel, but not Cain. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of different answers that I found. So one answer that some, some scholars have suggested is, well, animal sacrifice is just better than grain. It, it costs more. Life is lost in animal sacrifice that isn't lost in a grain offering. And so that's, I mean, you could maybe make that argument. In the Levitical law, yes, animal sacrifice was greater for, for greater penalty, but but grain was also still an acceptable sacrifice. The word minha would later become the word for the grain offering. So like it was it was acceptable to do that. And some people point out that it's not just that Abel brought animal sacrifice, but he also brought the first slits, that he brought the best that he had, which would make it better. But I I kind of don't go along with that. I like to give Cain the benefit here of saying, well, he didn't understand the Levitical law then. He didn't know that you were supposed to bring the best of the fat portions or the first fruits. I mean, we look at it and we think, oh, yeah, that's obvious. You want to give the best. But really, it doesn't say there hasn't been any Levitical law. Moses hasn't given any instructions. And I mean, up to this point, we don't really have any mention of an offering. So we don't really understand the rules. And so that this line of questioning and this this rebuttal has led to that second is there's no real answer. That's what some scholars have said. They just say we don't know why God chose Abel over Cain. But then there's also alternatively an argument to be made for the Hebrews 11:4, which says that by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. So it's more of a heart problem here. Is what that answer gets at. It's that Abel brought the best. Cain didn't bring the best that he had. So whatever the reason, it ends the same. God chose Abel and not Cain. And Cain was not happy about it. Very angry. And so God asks two questions of Cain for the second portion of the story. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? And I think this really does lend to that idea that this is a heart problem. That what's what's happening here is that Cain wasn't giving the best. He wasn't he wasn't being truly devoted. He wasn't being faithful to God. And so God's like, Cain, you need to search your feelings, look into yourself. I'll put out point out this disclaimer, I'm not equating Darth Vader with God. Just a good meme. He's saying, search your feelings, Cain, and, and see why you're so angry. So that you can you can try and, and heal this and, and fix this. And then the second question is, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But another way you can translate that end portion is in the affirmative. 
God says, Cain, you can rule over it. You can control yourself. And so this is a really visceral uh, illustration that, that the biblical author is giving of sin. It's kind of, It gives you the picture of sin is, is like this, this dog on your doorstep that whenever it's in, in it's enraged whenever you 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 entice sin it becomes a lion on your doorstep and, and jumps out and attacks you and so you got to be careful with the sin that's that's inside of you is what god's saying to cain and it also connects with this mythological demon in assyrian and akkadian mythologies so when the time this was written the mythologies in that time had this demon called uh, Rabasu or Rabusim. And he was a demon that would sit and wait at your doorstep. And he would guard your doorsteps. And then whenever you were there, he would jump out and attack you. So God is saying, you can control that demon. You can control that darkness that's inside of you, Cain. You have to. And you can. And so to kind of summarize the story with the lawsuit coming up. Cain goes out, he entices his brother to go out into the fields, and then he kills him. And then he doesn't fess up to God whenever God asks him about it. God curses him, sends him away. <clears throat> and so I want to talk about this narratively, what this means. So, Genesis 3, we have the fall, the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon all the world. Then right after that, we have the Cain and Abel story. And Genesis 4, that shows you the beginnings of the curse and what it's doing to humanity and to people. It is then right after that, in 5, we have the genealogy of Adam to Noah, which even in that genealogy you can see the curse's effect on relationships and on people. And then right after that, you have the flood story, where the, the intention of the heart for humanity is always evil, all the time and God says it's we it, it's too much I can't do this anymore and so the flood has to happen so that we can have some righteousness again because people have been separated from God too much the curse has been too great and so narratively that's what this story is doing is showing the effects of the curse but I think it's also getting at a really really important point a timeless lesson for us and that was intended then. And it all comes down to this answer, I think, that Cain gives, am I my brother's keeper? And there are three different ways that you can read this, this phrase, am I my brother's keeper, by changing the inflection of the words. So, am I my brother's keeper? Cain's saying, well, you know, what about my parents? Why can't they watch out for Abel? You know, like, he's, he's their son too. Like, isn't there some responsibility there? Like, where are they? Or you could say, am I my brother's keeper? Is it really my job to take care of my brother? Can't he take care of himself? I mean, he's a shepherd. Am I supposed to be the shepherd of the shepherd? And so Cain here with this one is kind of overstating his responsibility, being like, is that really what I'm called to do? To watch out for my brother at all times, to know what he's doing? And then this last one is, it's, it's low-key, it's blasphemous almost, is that, am I my brother's keeper? It's almost like, isn't keeping, caring for things what you do? You created the whole world, you take care of, you see everything. Isn't taking care of things your job? 
And I think that that's a, a really, really interesting visual there of, of Cain kind of pointing the finger back up, kind of spreading responsibility and the blame all the way around in, in each of these different phrases. But I think in all cases, the lesson that we can learn from, from all of them is it comes down to personal responsibility, what we have to bring. And the first is the personal responsibility for sin. Each of us has to control our sinful desires, has to control the demon that's on our doorstep. God tells, told him, you can master it. You can do it. And that's, that's what this, uh, in the East of Eden, in the book by uh, John Steinbeck. I just picked the movie uh, cover because I thought it was cool here in the presentation. There is one of the characters, he talks about how it's, he, he kind of roasts him. He says it's almost lazy to just throw yourself upon God and, and say that the way was set. I couldn't change anything. I couldn't control it. He says, you know, if God really wanted to stop me, he could, is kind of the idea. And I think that's really what this lesson, this story is trying to go for, is trying to say, you have personal responsibility for your own sin and for what you do. What you do is yours, is your sin. It's what you do. It's, it's not no one's fault except for you. And the other lesson for this story is we have a responsibility to our fellow human beings. And all of us are made in the image of of God. We are image bearers, and in the face of wrongdoing and evil and injustice, we have to stand up for those who are being oppressed and wronged. This memorial, if you're looking at the presentation, is from Dachau at the concentration camp there.